0: get started this morning. I hope you have been enjoying this amazing fall season we've been having. You can open your Bibles to Esther chapter 1 verses 10 through 22. That's the second half of the chapter, the opening chapter. Esther chapter 1 Old Testament book verses 10 through 22. If you're a visitor, welcome. We're glad to have you if you'd be so kind as to put your name down a welcome card and any other information that might be pertinent to your visit with us and drop it in the offering plate at the end of the service. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. And if you have children, just know that we have quite a sizable space downstairs where we love to take care of them and teach them the Bible. And uh, we hope that you'll, what'd you say? Lock them in closets? No, we don't. We don't do only occasionally on the fifth Sundays. No, we don't do that. We began to establish uh, last weekend, um, if you if you missed uh, last Sunday, it was a fun sermon text for any preacher, and the backdrop is a Persian nation uh, led by the mighty King Xerxes, who's quite a character. He ruled an area about the size. By the way, I'm just going to keep coming this direction if you all keep... Con- Continuing to sit at the back of the room, I'm just going to drive you out the door eventually, all right? Some 3 million square miles in his kingdom, the size of the good old U.S. of A, uh, many people groups, many nationalities, many languages, many customs, he inherited all of those that his father had conquered um, in his early to mid-30s, if you can imagine being a king in your early mid-30s. How many of you say, I remember myself in my early to mid-30s, and I would not have made a good king? Anybody? Okay, that's how I feel about it. (laughs) I happen to be in my mid-30s, and that's still how I feel about it. He was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. He was, of course, prolifically wealthy. Um, His entourage of some 10,000 security guards was quite a detail, Uh, the mightiest of his warriors. They were called the immortals, as depicted in the film 400 or 300, or what is it? 300, I believe. And those that came before him had to bow down and worship him like a god. If someone were to uh, touch even the rug in front of his throne, they would be put to death. Um, let alone sit on it. Uh, last week we looked at these large parties he would throw. If you've ever, uh, if you've ever been to an open bar, uh, that is a place that is to say a place where alcohol is served and you can have all you want without paying for it. Um, you know it can get interesting in a hurry. Well, last week, we learned that Xerxes once provided an open bar for the entire city of Warsaw. basically, in number, 50,000 people, women, uh, would be uh, paraded before the military men uh, as if it were some kind of menu, and as we study the book of Esther, we immediately noticed that this entire chapter really is dedicated to the historical documentation of this man, Xerxes the Great. And it's important to understand what this kingdom is like and view it in paradox to what Jesus' kingdom is like. That's the whole point into going all into all these facts. It's It's to see contrast between kingdoms of the world and kingdoms of Jesus. I thought I was putting my phone on silent. Apparently, I was putting it on ringer. Um, so, there must be a better way, I guess, is what I'm saying. And indeed, there is a better way. Uh, the first thing that we need to recognize is that this great king feeds the addictions of his people. Xerxes, though um, a very real historical figure, is also a picture of what the Bible calls elsewhere the world, Okay? So by world, of course, we're not referring to a physical place, the earth, um, a planet in space. But by the world, we mean a spiritual temperature of sorts, um, a spiritual attitude. And in this world, addictions like in Xerxes' kingdom are fed. I'll say that again. In Xerxes' kingdom, do you know how hard it is to say Xerxes over and over again? That's a tough name to say. I feel like I'm adding syllables every time I say it. So um, in in Xerxes' kingdom and in the kingdom of this world, addictions are fed. They absolutely are. Chapter 1, verse 10. On the seventh day when the king's heart was Mary with wine. Now, if you missed last week, up until this point, 15,000 people were given an all-inclusive party for six months. And then, in an additional week, the entire nation was invited to participate, or at least, I don't know exactly what the criteria was for the invite list, but it was quite public, 50-some thousand people. And the women who were there with the men were there to serve the men, and I don't mean waiting tables. Those women who were not hired for the party, those women that we might call women of of character, uh, were meeting separately with the queen, and her name was Vashti. We might call it the meeting of the wives, so to speak. Um, In one room, there are the wives. In another room are 15,000 military men for six months in an absolute unleashed, unhinged sin fest. And then, um, as I mentioned, uh, the public comes in for one week. There's a much larger party. Uh, Not only were the guests overindulging, apparently so was the king. Merry with wine means that he had too much to what? He had too much to drink. How many of you at some point in your life have had too much to drink? Don't raise your hand, you might elbow your neighbor in the nose or something. As you probably recall, excessive drinking... um, didn't make you any smarter, did it? Typically, people get dumber as they drink. And just in case you were not aware of this, the Bible doesn't condemn drinking. It condemns drunkenness. I want to make that clear. These men are drunk, and they begin to make some very, very poor decisions. And what's true of addiction, generally speaking, one of my mentors shared this with me when I was young, and I've never forgotten it. What you starve dies, and what you feed grows. That's just a wonderful principle to memorize. What you starve dies, what you feed grows. The same is true, by the way, of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to be an addict For Jesus and you invest in solitude and in prayer and in time in God's word, that will grow. Whatever you starve, whether it's your relationship with Christ or um, worldliness, it inevitably dies. Okay, so this is the way Xerxes' kingdom worked and it's the way that Satan works. Um, He'll give you, Xerxes did, and Satan does, whatever you want. Whatever you want as long as he gets to be your king and and you do as he says if you're loyal to his kingdom you want sex fine Xerxes gave it out like candy Satan will too if you want to overconsume it's okay with Xerxes it's okay with god's enemy satan it doesn't matter if it's xerxes or pharaoh or nero or hugh hefner or isis someone sits on a throne someone rules from uh, over their little kingdom someone tries to amass for themselves honor and power, and fame, and followers, and subjects, and power, and glory, and they'll give those underneath them, as we know ISIS did, whatever their little hearts desire, as long as they remain faithful to the mission of the organization, as long as they are obedient citizens, Are you aware that that's how the world works? The world's a trap of sorts. God says, no, I want yes. And you know what Satan tells you? He says, yes, all the time. Because why? He does not love you like a father loves his children. What happens to kids when the father says yes all the time? Great Father, say no, son. That's not good for you. No, sweetie. That's not the right path, darling. That's not going to help you. That's not going to serve you. You know how to find out who loves you in this life? Ask the question, who's telling me no right now? Who's telling me that's a dumb idea? Who's telling me that's bad for me? Who's telling me to show some discretion? And restraint. That's the person who loves you in this life. Not the person who's telling you to do whatever you want to do. Find the people that are telling you no. Find the ones that are trying to starve out your addictions, not feed them. The second thing we notice is that the men are castrated. You only Pastor Zach would include this as a point in his sermon. Right? Everybody say, oh no. It's not good news. He commanded, their names are even listed here Mahuman and Bistha Harbona and Bigtha and Abigtha and Zethar and Carcass. So the Bible. In every way, it talks about real people, real circumstances. It is not philosophical, it is historical in nature. These are facts. These are real people. We can trust the Bible. Seven eunuchs. What's a eunuch? It's a guy that used to have a good life, right? <laughs> a eunuch is a man who is castrated. Hey, mom, I got a new job, right? Imagine that conversation. As what? A eunuch. Congratulations, honey. Who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. That's Xerxes' Persian name. Xerxes is the Greek name. So here's how this worked. In effort to show how great and glorious and grand he was, Xerxes had multiple wives, just like Solomon. Then he had a harem that was full of concubines and other women. And what's the difference between, by the way, a wife and a concubine this day, you might ask? Um, It's possible that not a single one of the concubines enjoyed mutual love and shared affection. That's the difference. Sometimes even wives were chosen for purposes outside of love. Very popular um, for a king to marry another king's daughter so that he could grow his empire not by a political force but by intermarriage. And as you know, when marriage is centered on anything other than love, all hell breaks loose. And that's what happens in this story. When people marry for pleasure, for convenience... For money, crisis is sure to hit. And to make sure that these women would fall in love with nobody else, nobody else, the only men that were allowed to serve the women had to be castrated. The third observation we make is that the women are mistreated. Xerxes has been seated on his throne for the better part of six months at the grand finale of his party after the guest list triples for the final week, Xerxes tells the eunuchs to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown. Um, Not like a a British crown that you would picture, but more like a a turban with some fine jewels interwoven uh, in it. Um, So here's what's going on. Xerxes picked up Vashti to begin with, we ascertained from this text because she was beautiful. She's the one he's calling on, after all. And remember, he's drunk. Everybody else is drunk. All the women are over there having their own party, and Xerxes decides it's time to show off my beautiful wife. He's probably hanging halfway off the throne, When he issues the decree, he wants to have this Miss America kind of pageantry, kind of moment, and parade her in front of 50,000 drunk men. How will the queen respond? How would you ladies respond? I think you'll be encouraged this morning. Verse 12. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Queen Vashti tells King Xerxes to stuff it. And then the king became furious and burned with anger. Now he's not only a drunk, He's mad. And why is he mad? Because he is humiliated. Because his wife did not do as she was told. Vashti makes a noble, courageous, brave, moral decision. She stands up to a guy who's never been stood up to before. She says no to a Harvey Weinstein of her day. Nobody has ever told Xerxes no. They thought he was God. And she says, He's being a dirty man. He's asking me to do a dirty thing. And I'm not going to do it. To our knowledge, she isn't even a believer. And she makes this awesome, valiant decision. It was the right decision. Shame on Xerxes. Hooray for Queen Vashti. Can we just pause for a moment and applaud her courage? Will you join me? This is a beautiful moment. In today's text, she earned that. Now let's transition into a teaching opportunity. I'll hammer at the married men for a minute or two. I think the text begs the question, what is your standard of beauty, gentlemen? What's your standard? Do you know what your standard ought to be? your your standard ought to be your wife. That's what every godly man's standard is, who's married. Your standard of beauty, think about it this way, when God made Adam and Eve, he didn't give Adam and Eve options. Not tall or short, not skinny or handles to hold, not short hair or long hair, God gave Adam the choice between a woman and an aardvark, basically is what he had to look at. And so the woman looked amazing. And to Eve, Adam was handsome. God did not give them a standard of beauty. He gave them a spouse. And to every person in here, remember, God gave you a spouse. Xerxes thinks his wife is beautiful. Yes, that's not the problem. The problem is he wants other men to fawn over her, become covetous, lust in their hearts, and compare their wives to his wife. It's like all the marketing you take in today swimsuit issues and billboards and ads on your news app and of course pornography. The goal is to get men to compare wrongly their wives to other women. If you are married, your comparison, I should say, a comparison, Ought not to exist for you. Your spouse is all you have. Your spouse is your standard. Don't be guilty of lusting in your heart. Don't take the bait of Xerxes. Do not take the bait of Satan. God's intent is that when we marry, we stop comparing. We look at these antiquated stories and we think these primitive people, they're they're treating her as though she's an object. That happens literally in this world on a daily basis. It's called sex trafficking. It is prominent and pervasive and increasing its presence in the United States of America. And shamefully, as we heard from a guest a number of months ago, the the number one opportunity to traffic a girl is the Super Bowl. What does that tell you? That poor people are doing it or rich people are doing it? Who can afford Super Bowl tickets? And how many do the same thing digitally? Privately? Shamefully? How many guys wear sunglasses to a water park so that their wives can't see their eyes? The times have changed. The hearts of men have not. It's probably a bad Sunday to be this close to you. I should probably step back here a little bit, create a little comfort for you. Practically, this means that if your spouse is short, you should love short. If your spouse is tall, you should love tall. If your spouse has hair, you should love hair. If your spouse doesn't have hair, you should hate hair. You don't spend your time wishing things were different. Amen. Secondly, your wife. Gentlemen is not a trophy to be paraded around for other men and women to fawn at. If the invitation is, hey, sweetie, put on that dress because we're going over to hang with the boys tonight and I want to s- them to see you looking your best. Stay home, ladies. Spend time with Jesus. Don't go to that party. He's the only guy who isn't asking you to do that, apparently. Parading your spouse around is a godless activity. It's denigrating. It's damaging. Vashti says, no, I will not. I cannot eat green eggs and ham. I'm not doing this. Absolutely no. Check your heart. Men, if when you go out in public, you want her to appear a certain way so that others think you're great and you're glorious, there is something awry in your heart. You have the heart of Xerxes. Another one. Your wife ought to be your best friend. If Xerxes and Vashti were truly friends, truly friends, the king and the queen, would he have treated her like this? Absolutely not. You don't do this to you. You don't objectify your friend. You don't parade your friend. You don't put your friend in harm's way. Xerxes has innumerable women and no friendships with women. God wants us to have one gentleman woman and to be great friends with her. And while I'm floating around it, let me just say something I tell couples in premarital counseling. There is no good, in my experience, that can come out of close friendships with the opposite sex outside of your marriage once you're married. I've never seen it produce anything of fruit. Opposite sex friendships are rarely innocent couple friends of course i i think are appropriate and and i encourage it and you may think this is a hard line i agree it's a hard line but i think it's risk averse and if you're loose with this policy you're taking risks that you ought not to take in your marriage for the women For the married women, I'll start with in the room if your husband is asking you to disobey the Lord, he is not your highest authority. Who's the king above all kings? Jesus Christ. Who's the Lord of all lords? Jesus Christ. Your husband's authority is borrowed from God. It is not innate. If the highest authority says no, and your husband says yes, you pull a Vashti. You say no. If your husband asks you to lie or to steal, Steal, or to cover for him or to participate with him in some sin or evil or injustice or crime, what is the answer? The answer is no. Absolutely not. And my second thought is for you single ladies. I just want to encourage you to stand up for yourself and say no. Some of you may be great at it. You've mastered your art on how to jam a man up. Others of you I fear have never tried to say no. And I just wanna I just wanna plead with you this morning to pull a Vashti pick your chin up, look him in the eye, say no, using a respectful, loving voice, a godly voice, but never lose your voice. And sometimes a woman has to prayerfully, carefully say no. What does Vashti say? She says no. So the king says to his lawyers, verse 15, According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? She's not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. And then this starts getting very official. They agree that Xerxes has not violated the law himself and what he's asked of her. He's done everything according to it. So now it turns into an international crisis. Because the most powerful man who rules over 3 million square miles can't handle his own wife. How many of you guys are like, I know the feeling, right? (laughs) Don't say amen. Some of you think, that explains my whole life. I have so much clarity now. Thanks be to God. So the story continues, verses 16 through 18. Then Mamukin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, verse 18, the Persian and Median women... Of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. In other words, Xerxes, this problem's bigger than you think. It's already being tweeted about, it's already being shared on Facebook. This thing's turning viral. When she said no to you, all of a sudden a lot of women realize for the first time in their lives that no is a great word. And they're adding that to their vocabulary, King Xerxes. Ladies across the empire are starting to hashtag me too. They've been practicing no at home. While they're waiting on their husbands to come home from work. This is getting ugly. If she told you to stuff it, our wives are going to tell us to stuff it. This is an epidemic. Verse 19. If it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repeated that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. For when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all the kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. And this advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mimukin promised. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in his own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man must be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. See, anytime men have to impose respect on women, it goes to show that the men aren't respectable to begin with. Here's what he should have done. Repent. Apologize. Sweetheart, I'm sorry. I was drunk. I shouldn't have been drunk. I was with the guys. I shouldn't have been with the guys. They were all started, starting to do the wave. Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti, I don't know what got a hold of me, but I insisted upon parading you in front of them. Please forgive me. I was wrong. And it would have been over. It would have been over. He remains unrepentant. So, as we filter this story, we need to continually ask ourselves how am I like Xerxes? How am I self-righteous? How am I stubborn? How do I want the world to revolve around me? Church family, I ho- I would hope you would agree that when we're wrong, we should repent. If you're a boss, you should repent to your employees. If you're a husband, you should repent to your wife. If you're a parent, you should repent to your kids. Some of the most profoundly moving times between Levi and myself are when I apologize to him for getting it wrong. It doesn't matter if you're in charge, it does not make you right. Good leadership demonstrates humility. Good leadership demonstrates repentance. Good leadership isn't making up excuses and getting together people who agree with you to throw out another edict and maintain control. So what's happened at this point in the story is that a door is opening for Esther, our main character. We empathize with Queen Vashti as unfair and unjust as her treatment was. This is when she exits stage right, leaving the door open for Queen Esther to enter stage left, and we'll get there soon. But here's what I'd like to say in conclusion. Some would argue that Xerxes was the greatest king in the history of the world to this day. But every generation, every single one, has believed the same foolish myth. If we could just get a good king, we would have a good kingdom. Then we'd have heavenly life on a fallen earth. And it doesn't matter if it's Pharaoh, or if it's Nero, or if it's Obama, or if it's Trump. It doesn't matter if they assume a throne or are elected to a throne. It doesn't matter. When fallen, faulty people sit on a throne, you never get a glorious kingdom, ever, ever. Inner King Jesus Xerxes banishes people from his presence his own wife Jesus Christ never banishes people from his presence amen Xerxes parades his wife around degradingly Jesus at the end of, of time, will parade his wife as a spotless, pure, glorious bride. Xerxes is dead. Jesus is alive. Xerxes' kingdom is no more. Jesus' kingdom lasts forever. You see the difference. The contrast is stark. And for for anyone who is wondering, for anyone who is wondering, um, the timing of this message is a complete coincidence with the happenings of the last couple weeks. I told you before my sabbatical in June that we'd be in the Book of Esther going into the fall. This has nothing to do with Kavanaugh, just so you're aware. But but I will I will say this: we ought to have empathy for the vasties of our age, and we ought to not pretend to know how things happened until the facts are fully presented. And we certainly, as Christians, ought not to posit certain things publicly on social media and elsewhere that would make it difficult for other assault survivors to come forward and tell their stories even if we don't believe them. God's heart, what does he say in the Bible? Stay neutral until you've heard both sides. I'm so thankful as a citizen of this country that we had the opportunity to hear both sides. But stay neutral. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that we would... um, Listen to people who are unlike us. God, that we would have patience, Lord. And and always have kindness and tenderness and self-control. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us lift up each other. And Lord, especially avoid the evils that Xerxes submitted to in his day. Lord, continue to be with our church as we make bold decisions for you, Lord. I just pray that this community center, God, is, is a place where no one would be banished. Is a place it would reflect your kingdom, not Xerxes' kingdom where people will be loved on and cared for and shown truth. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd meet every need. In the name of Jesus, amen.